Anxiety, stress, worry, fear, weariness. It's a huge issue in the world that we live in. It's a huge issue in the church. It's a huge issue in our own lives. What do we do with our anxieties? What do we do with our stresses? Um, I can't overemphasize this in the world that we live in, how challenging it is. A fifth of all antidepressants that are prescribed are, are for stress. The number one category generally of prescription drugs is related to anxiety and stress. We spend $55 billion a year trying to deal with our stresses and our anxieties. And 90% of all doctor visits either start with stress or after finding out sickness end in some kind of stress. What are your stressors? What are the things that stress you out? And maybe you start with your pastor this morning who brought it up. Maybe that's where you're starting. You're thinking about the things that stress you out now. Maybe it's the the total weight of the burdens and responsibilities you have as an adult who's trying to adult. And those things just get poured onto you more and more and more each day. Perhaps that stresses you out. Perhaps it's your health. Perhaps it's conflict with a spouse or conflict with a friend Or conflict in your church. Maybe it's unexpected hardships that have come your way that you weren't prepared for. And maybe it's just not knowing what's going to happen in the future. And the worries and the concerns that you have about the future. These are real problems that real people have. You and me. The question though is what do you do with it? Where do you go with your stressors? Where do you go looking for peace? Maybe it's a spring break trip. Maybe it's a season of rest. I'm not sure what that is. Maybe it's sleep, workout, massage, counselor. Those are all good things, but maybe it's a strong drink. Maybe it's a a, a negative way in which you're trying to deal with these stresses. What comes out? See, a good counselor would tell us all that these things are going to come out in some way. So how does it come out in your life? I've got good news for you today. The good news is that you have a God of peace, a God of shalom who wants wholeness for you. And he has sent the Prince of Peace to be your peace and to give you rest. The Philippian church who Paul loved, we're in the book of Philippians, and he loved this church today, he's even going to lead with that. The, the church that he loves and he bring him joy and his crown. So he's got this deep affection for this Philippian church that he's talking to, but there's a little problem. There's a little problem when you get to chapter 4 that's creating anxiety in the church. And Paul has a remedy. He has a vaccine. It actually has a two-dose vaccine that he's going to give for them this morning. So turn with me to Philippians chapter 4 and we'll be in verses 1 through 9. There's a Bible on the end of your row as well. I think it's page 982. Philippians 4. So we've made it through three chapters of Philippians. And I just want to, for a second, just pan out and give you a a summary, if I could, of the first three chapters. And I just want to do it with a few phrases. So when you think about the book of Philippians, you ought to think the joy of knowing Christ. That's your main idea. And in chapter 1, Paul basically says about Christ that Christ is our life. In 121, Christ is my life. And then you come to chapter 2, and he says, Christ is my example. Have the attitude of Christ, chapter 2, verse 5. And then you come to chapter 3, and you see that Christ is his goal. Remember, just a number of weeks ago in chapter 3, we saw that his goal, Paul's goal, even as a 30-year Christian, a guy who's been in the faith for 30 years, his goal was what? To know him. And his sufferings in the resurrection to know his power, to know 
Christ and you come to chapter 4. So Christ is my life. Christ is my example. Christ is my goal. And we come to chapter 4 and you're going to see some different problems. You're going to see some conflicts. You're going to see some anxieties. You're going to see some lack of contentment and circumstances. And, and Paul's going to say, Christ is my strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so as we walk into chapter 4, know that what's undergirding chapter 4 is Paul's dealing with Christ being our strength through the problems and the conflicts and the anxieties that we have in life. So let me read it. Page 982. Let me read verse 1 through 9. Philippians 4, verse 1 through 9. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and I long for, see his affection, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together, with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Look back at the first five verses, the first thought that we have this morning, the first rich truth and rich application that I could give you this morning from this text is this, that we ought to cultivate God's peace By keeping short accounts with people. By keeping short accounts with people. Do you see what's going on in the first few verses here? The first verse is really a transition verse from the last chapter. He says, therefore, so he's looking back. My brothers whom I love is affection, joy, and crown. Stand firm. This is the imagery of of a Roman soldier with an enemy coming in on him. Standing firm. So he's saying, stand firm in the Lord. Seek the Lord. And then he transitions to verse 2, and we've got a problem in the church. We've got a little problem that's festering in the church, and it's in the women's ministry of the church. You've got these two ladies, Yodia and Syntyche. Uh, I don't know if you, ladies, if you're having any kids right now, but man, there's two great options for you. If you like Star Wars, Yodia is pretty close, so maybe you just go with that. Yodia and Syntyche, and their names literally mean Harmony and sweetness, and there's not much harmony and there's not any sweetness going on. There's something going on between them. There's a conflict going on between these two ladies in the church. It's interesting because when we, when we go back to the book of Acts and we learn how Paul plants this church. Remember the first week we went back into Acts chapter 16 and we saw the church and how it started. It started down by the river with a group of women praying. So likely these women have been there from the beginning Look at what Paul says about these ladies who are in conflict. He says that they have labored side by side with me. So they've been in Paul's presence. They've been laboring for the gospel. It also says that their names are written in the book of life. So these are two believing, faithful women who have an argument of some sort. There's something going on. And guess what? Back in the day when letters were sent from Paul to the church or churches, guess what happened? 
the person in the assembly would read the whole letter, right? So, so this letter is being read to all the people. So it's, there's a thing going on here. And, and his encouragement to them, whatever's going on, is to agree in the Lord. There's a problem here. But note what Paul doesn't tell us. You're looking for it right now, maybe. Going, what's the issue? Paul doesn't tell us what the issue is, so that tells us a couple of things. It likely tells us that it's not a doctrinal error, because he likes to talk about that. He comes down hard on that. If there's an issue about doctrine, or an issue about a moral failure, he comes down, you hear about that, but he doesn't even tell us what the actual issue is, and so what's probably happening is that they're making mountains out of molehills. He doesn't even share what the deal is. And he also doesn't say, you're right, Syntyche, and you're wrong, Yodia. Or you're right, Yodia, and you're wrong, Syntyche. He doesn't do that. What does he do? He says these words, look at it. He says, you need to agree in the Lord. And that's not, hey, you're right, you're wrong. The, the implication of agree, if you look at the Greek, is an attitude. It's an attitude change. Hey, just get over it. Work on it. Have you seen that before in the book of Philippians? You've seen it in chapter 2. Have the same attitude as that of Christ. Why did Paul say that? Look out for, don't look out for your own interests. Look out for the interests of others as Christ did. Have the attitude of Christ because he humbled himself and became a servant and died on a cross. And so he's talking to them first about attitude. He's also painting some perspective for them. He's saying to them, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. Know that you both your names are both written in the Lamb's book of life. The book of life means you're going to spend together, ladies. You're going to be in this together. Okay? So his remedy is perspective. And he says the Lord is at hand. He's coming. Not only is he coming, he sees what's going on. And so let's not make mountains out of molehills. I don't know what the issue was. I don't know if it was, hey, we're going to do a Jen Wilkins study instead of a Nancy Guthrie study. I don't know if they, what they were arguing about. But there was something that was festering in the church enough to where Paul is going to address it here. And look at what Paul does for them. He shares about perspective. He shares about attitude. But he also does something else. He does two things. He provides accountability. Do you see it there? And um, when you come down to, uh, in verse 2, it says, my true companion. So what he's doing there is he's giving them a mediator. There's somebody that's going to be helping them work their issue out, whatever it is. It's an interesting word in the Greek, companion. It's this word, yoke fellow. That doesn't help you. I know that doesn't help you. What, is it, what in the world is a yoke fellow? Do you remember back in before tractors, when they had to plow fields, what did they use? They used oxen. And what they would do is they would put an old ox with a young ox. And they had a yoke. Remember the passage about Jesus? Think about the passage about Jesus. Come to me who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest from my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so it's the same idea. There's a yoke fellow that's going to come along. And so here's the, here's the picture. You've got old ox, whoever this is, is going to help mediate. And you've got these ladies. And they're going to walk side by side through this together. And so Paul is giving them someone to walk through this and mediate. And the other issue is this. Think about being one of these ladies. Being in the church. And the first three chapters of this letter from Paul are being read and you're sitting there, and you're Yodia or Syntyche, and you're going, amen, amen. Yeah, Christ is my life, gains and losses. I gain Christ, surpassing value of knowing Christ. That's what I want. My goal is to know him. When you get to chapter 4, I urge 
Yodia. What do you think Yodia is doing at that point? She's just kind of curling down in her chair. Syntyche's curling down. Everybody knows that there's an issue. I don't know. Do we do that next week? Is there any issues here we need to? Just kidding. But there's accountability. So there's a change in attitude that Paul's calling for. He doesn't even say, you're right, you're wrong. There's a change in perspective. There's an eternal picture here that's bigger and more important. Work your junk out. This is what he's saying to these ladies. You know, maybe you've had this with your kids where you don't know what they're arguing about, but they come to you, and one's saying one thing and the other's saying the other, and you're not trying to take sides. Maybe you do in some cases. You, you certainly do in some cases, but oftentimes you're just trying to get them to have the right attitude and the right perspective on what's going on and providing that kind of mediator accountability. This is what Paul's doing with these. There's, there's really two principles here that, that I think we can take away. One is this. Where there are people, there are going to be problems. That's encouraging too, right? Where there are people, there's going to be problems, and it's important just to know that. And that's true in your work, that's true in your home, and it's true in your church. Right? We're going to have issues because we're fallen human beings. And it's important to know that as you create expectations. But the second principle is the great one. And it may, I think it should be unique for us as believers in Christ, unique for the Christian when our eyes are on Jesus. The made-up mountains can be turned back into molehills because there's such an internal perspective on our problems that we ought to have that God would point us toward. And beyond that, you think about the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and what's happened there. A God who Psalm 103.8 says, a God who is merciful, a God who is gracious, a God who is slow to anger, a God who is abounding in steadfast love. That's the kind of God that you have. And when you think about the gospel, and you think about the mercy and the grace and how God has been slow to anger with you. Aren't you glad? I don't know when you came to know Jesus, if you know Jesus. And the, the loving kindness that he has toward you as a sinner or a saint. And see, Jesus says things like this. If you can't forgive your brother, I can't forgive you. So of all people on this planet who've been forgiven of much, who have confessed our sin to God and he's forgiven us of our sins, we ought to be the best. We ought to be the best in this world at extending forgiveness. We ought to be the best in this world at receiving it from other people. These are hard things in our lives for sure. But we forgive, the Bible says, as Christ has forgiven us. And I realize there's, there's some caveats to that. I realize that as far as it depends on you, right? Pursue peace with people as far as it depends on you. So that may mean... That that you bring something to somebody and they don't receive it. Or vice versa. But as far as it depends on us. We need to be at peace. We get peace from God by keeping short accounts. My question for you this morning is, how do you deal with relational shrapnel in your life? How do you deal with that shrapnel that comes into your life, in your marriage, in your church, in friendships? You know, oftentimes as a church, when, we, when we're so, my observation in doing this for about 20 years is when we get so internally focused as a church and not externally focused, we start fighting about the silliest of things. 
But we're on, when we're on mission, we're not fighting, we're fishing. So are we as a church fighting or are we fishing? Because that's our mission and that's our task. See, conflict damages unity and produces a lot of anxiety. Once you think about the challenges relationally that you've had in your life, in the past, in the present, and you think about all the anxiety that that creates, especially if it's somebody that you love and you care for, it creates anxiety. So we've got to keep short accounts, is what Paul's saying. But what about this? What about when mountains are really mountains? And they're not molehills. And there's deep hurt. And there's deep pain. And there's deep stuff in your life. What do we do then? And this is what I think we see in verse 4 through 7. That we need to cultivate, secondly, God's peace by relieving anxiety with prayer. You don't see a lot of prescriptive things in the scriptures. But this is pretty prescriptive, if I could say it that way. Cultivate God's peace by relieving anxiety with prayer. Now, before we get into this, I really want to try to define anxiety or stress. Because there's a good kind of anxiety and stress. The kind that motivates, the kind that gets you up in the morning. The kind that moves you forward. There's good stress that you have in your life. And then there's what the Bible would describe as sinful stress. Something that's debilitating. Something that you can't get over. Something that's just there. And it consumes you. And I would illustrate it with an alarm clock. Think about an alarm clock. Think about how it ought to wake you up. Maybe this morning especially. You know, that spring forward morning or spring back. And you're like, i got to go look at the other clock because I'm not sure if this really happened. Think about an alarm clock. It's motivating it. Alarm goes off once, well, I don't know, once, maybe twice, maybe three times. It goes off and it, it motivates you to get up and you get moving. But what, and that's a good thing. But I want you to imagine an alarm clock in your head that's going off all day. About the same thing over and over and over again. That's debilitating. But what we often do with that kind of alarm clock in our head, this kind of sinful, stressful anxiety that consumes us with whatever the issue is, you know what we often do? What we often do is we don't deal with the root. We just put white noise over it. The other night, we have an old refrigerator, and uh, we've had this thing serviced, I don't know how many times, it's like two in the morning, and there's a noise that's going off, and we know what the noise is. It's the refrigerator because the seal on the freezer is messed up, and so it's telling us what it's supposed to do. Like if the fridge is open, it's making that noise. It's a really high-pitched noise, and I really hate it, at 2 a.m. in the morning, and so it's going off and off and off, and it won't stop. And so we go in, and we scrape the ice out. We try to fix this thing, and in my mind, it's either I can turn this thing off and lose all my food, or we can let it go on and go back to bed and turn, turn the fan on full blast. And that's exactly what we did. That thing was going off all night, but I couldn't hear it because I had the fan on full blast. And that was a short-term band-aid, but what do I have to do? I've got to get somebody out there to fix my refrigerator or replace it. I've got to deal with the root problems, and I often think that's what we do. We just, we just put the white noise over it forever and assume it's going to go away. We've got to fix the root issues that are going on. See, John Piper defines uh, anxiety that we're looking at here in this way, in an either two ways, an intense desire for something accompanied by a fear of the consequence of not receiving it, 
or an intense desire about something accompanied by the fear of receiving it. And so think about that as it relates to, to your life. Think about the examples in your life. Maybe it's a financial burden that's sprung up, and that's all you're thinking about all day, and you can't get it out of your head. It's just this alarm clock going off and off and off in your head. Or maybe it's your health, the things about your health, or a pandemic that's going on that's got you worried and frustrated. Maybe it's unrest in the country we live in. I can't think of another year in our lives where anxiety and weariness are more of an issue in our lives. Our relational problems are just the weight and responsibilities of life. I love Proverbs 12.25. It says it this way. 12.25, Proverbs 12.25 says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. A good, I love that part. A good word makes him glad. What's the good word? What's the good word? See, Paul has a vaccine here. It's a two-part vaccine, but look at it. This is, a, you, you need to underline it. You need to memorize it. You need to go there. Philippians chapter 4. Look at it. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving. Those are parts of prayer that we are asking the Lord. We're casting our cares upon the Lord. And giving him thanks, rejoicing in him, let your request be made known to God. So this is Paul's first thought, is that we relieve anxiety with casting our cares through prayer upon him, that he might sustain us, is what the Bible says. That we cast our cares on him, that he would sustain us and care for us. So where do you go, C3? Where do you go with your anxieties and your stresses and your fears? Is God your last resort? I would confess to you that often God is not my first, not the first place that I go. I try to work it out on my own pride on my own. I try to get counsel from other people. And some of that is good. But God shouldn't be our last resort. Do you see this awesome promise here? An incredible promise that we bring our stuff to Him. And are you spending unhurried, unhindered time with the Lord in His presence? It can relieve your anxiety in incredible ways. And there is a right, I just want to pause here and say, there is a right and good place. And Paul's going to get there at the end. There's a right and good place for people to help you through this. There's a right and good place for counselors to walk through you in deep hurt and anxiety. And so I want to say that in the midst of saying, the Bible calls us to pray and cast our cares on Him. Are you doing that? D.A. Carson says it this way, I've never met someone who is perpetually anxious who has an excellent prayer life. But look at this promise. This is an amazing promise as we pray and as we take our cares to Him. Do you see it there in verse 7? As we do that and as we lean into the Lord, instead of taking it on ourselves, the peace of God, His shalom, His wholeness, which surpasses all understanding. What He's saying is, is there situations in your life that you could look back on and go, there's no way that I made it through that. The way you made it through that is depending upon the Lord and casting your cares there. You ever been in that situation or after that situation or after that season? You go, I don't know how I made it through that. The Lord is with you. It surpasses all understanding. It doesn't even make sense how it could have that much peace and wholeness through that. And it says 
that it will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. The word guard here is another military term. Paul loves athletic and military terms, and it's the picture of a garrison of soldiers protecting. God protects you, cares for you, when you bring your requests to Him. So cultivate God's peace by relieving anxiety with prayer. See, anxiety paralyzes, but peace can neutralize. God's peace. Are you letting God be who He ought to be in your life for you? Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And then Jesus says that I am gentle and lowly in heart. It's the only place in all of the Gospels, like 89 chapters in the Gospels, where Jesus describes his heart, and his heart for you is gentle. So don't think you have to clean yourself up and all your junk up to come to him. He's gentle, and he's lowly. He's listening. He's there. So, prayer triggers peace. Prayer triggers peace. But there's one more thing. There's one more part of this vaccine, if you will. And it's this from verses really 8 and 9. We need to cultivate God's peace by reflecting on God's promises. So you see God's promises in verse 7 and how He will guard your hearts and minds in Christ and give you peace. And then He talks about the way you think effectively in verse 8 and 9. Do you see it there? Finally, brothers, whatever's true, right, noble, worthy, think about these things. You know, you could wake up in the morning and you could spend a few minutes in prayer and cast your cares upon the Lord, but if you're spending all your day wrapped up in your anxieties, you're kind of sabotaging the situation, aren't you? I want you to think about that in the summer in your house. You've got the A.C. cranked way up. You're trying to keep the house cool. Magnolia, Texas, it's really hot. And what do you tell your kids when they open the door 50 times? (laughs) Shut the door! Shut the door! Or they're talking to you with the door open. Right, kids? You get tired of that? Shut the door! I mean, we, we sabotage ourselves if we pray and then all day that we're anxious and thinking about whatever that thing is. It's like turning the air conditioner up in the summer and making it really cold and opening all the windows and all the doors. Or if you're working out and you're trying to get stronger and healthier and lose some fat and you're, you're doing that every day but you're eating bluebell like a gallon of bluebell, you think that's helping you? Not so much. Sorry, I was trying. So we can sabotage that, and this is what Satan loves to do, especially with the mind. He loves to backdoor you. You might be praying, you may be doing these things, but he comes into the back door of your mind, and he reminds you of what a failure you are and who you are. You ever heard the phrase, don't listen to yourself, but talk to yourself? You ever heard that phrase? Don't listen to yourself, talk to yourself. See, when you listen to yourself, all you usually hear is the critic. The one who's saying, you can't do it, you're a failure. This is not self-help, okay? I'm, not, I'm talking about self-help. 
But when you listen to yourself and that inner voice of yourself, it always gives you the critic. It always puts you down. But when you talk to yourself, now you become like a coach. And this is what Paul's saying here. He's like, this is what you need to fill your mind with. I want to give you an example. Psalm 42. David does this. He's talking to himself. And he's answering himself a little bit. Psalm 42. We have it there? Why are, he, he's talking to himself and he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? He's realizing something that's going on in his heart, his emotions. Why are you in turmoil within me? And then... He doesn't listen to himself. He talks to himself and he says what? Hope in God. He reminds himself of God's truth from God's word. Hope in God. For for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He's talking to himself. He's telling himself the truths to combat listening to himself. And the worst that comes out. We've got to tell ourselves the truth of God's word. And this is Paul's last instruction here. Is not only do we need to pray, but we need to take thoughts captive to the mind of Christ, as Paul would say in other places. We need to think God's truths. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. So talk to yourself, don't listen to yourself. To cultivate the peace of God, the wholeness of God that He desires for your life. So we cultivate peace through pursuing reconciliation and relationships. We pursue peace, God's peace through prayer and through thinking the right way. There's a story, as I close here, there's a story of a, of a fisherman. He was out on a boat and the sea was bad and looked like the boat was going to tump over and so the guys turned to this fisherman and said, hey, you're a Christian, right? And the guy goes, yeah, but you know, I haven't really been talking to the Lord or walking with the Lord for, a, for about 15 years. So he's like, man, you need to pray. Sound familiar? You Bible scholars out there? You need to pray. Would you pray and ask God to help us through this storm? And the fisherman said, okay, I'll pray. And he prays to God. And he says, God, if you'll just help us get out of this alive, I promise you I won't ask you for anything for another 15 years. I wonder if that's our functional attitude toward God when junk happens, when we have anxiety and we have stress. You go, I haven't talked to you in 15 years. Would you just help me here? Then I won't talk to you in 15 more. That's not the prescription that Paul has in this text. It's not a distance from God as if he's just going, oh, you're asking for another thing. That's not the God that we know. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not the God we serve. The God we serve is listening and wanting you to come to Him and bring your stuff to Him, to cast your cares on Him. We have a big God that's not burdened by our problems because He's already taken the burden for you on the cross through His Son. The Prince of Peace has taken the burden for you that you might have life eternally, that you might have abundant life with Him here. You might walk through life in the ups and downs of anxiety and stress and know the Prince of Peace who's got you. You have a big God. Your takeaway this morning is this, the Prince of Peace. peace. Jesus is with you in the storm. He's always with you. Will you reach out to Him? Will you trust Him? with your hurt? Will you trust Him with your burdens? 
This is what Paul is saying to the Philippians this morning, and this is what Paul would be saying to us today from God's Word. Cast all your cares upon Him. Don't be anxious for anything, but in prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. What a great word. What an encouraging word for us in these troubled times. Let me pray. Father, we're thankful for this word. We thank you that you're a God of peace. Lord, um, thank you that you've allowed a way in which we can have peace through your Son who has died on a cross for us. That we can know the Prince of Peace and that we can settle the issue of having peace with you through your Son. And so, Lord, I pray for, for us this morning that we would experience the peace of God through your Spirit by keeping short accounts with people around us. If there's people that we need to go to today or this week to try to work at reconciliation, I pray that you would push us toward that inside of our family, outside of our family. Lord, I pray that we would come to you with our burdens and prayer. That we would rest in your promises, that we would remind ourselves of your promises through your spirit. Do a work in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.